The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. With blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. Discover legendary tastes with America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who was nearly swallowed alive by a Pac-Man machine. Here is the captain. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week in the garage, we are drinking downtime wheat from the good folks over at Bulldog Brewing Company. Downtime is a refreshing, lightly hopped American wheat beer. Bulldog is a microbrewery, and you can always find some very unique beers at the microbrew houses across this great land. Downtime is light, smooth, and a little malty. 5% ABV, garage grade 4, and a quarter bottle caps out of 5. And here's some thanks and praise to some of our good friends for helping us fill up the fridge this week. First up, a shout-out to Renee from Aquabog, Long Island. And a big we like to jib to Teresa Ayella in Oakland, California. That's right. If you want to get a nice jib from the captain, just go to truecrimegarage.com, click on the pint glass, and leave a little donation for the beer run. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, beer run. And, Colonel, that is enough of the beers. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Recent analysis of missing children cases over the course of a two-year period tells us that there is hope out there. 3,147 children were recovered after being missing for six months or longer. 151 children were recovered after having been missing for a decade or longer. While those numbers are delightfully surprising, please keep in mind that 98% of these cases involved children who either ran away from home or were abducted by a family member. But that still leaves 2%. 2% of the missing kids 
who were abducted by a non-family member who were recovered. Returned to their home and to their families. That's over 60 kids who got to come home. Family abduction cases have the longest average time missing, with an average time of 326 days, versus cases of runaways, which average the shortest time missing at 61 days. And then there are the cases that we talk about here in the garage, cases that don't exactly fit either of those descriptions. Maybe a case like today's. There is help out there for parents and families of missing kids. And equally important, there is assistance and educational tools out there to help parents and families prevent this sort of thing. Organizations that truly only exist due to the effort to keep our kids safe. One of the best organizations I know of is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, or NICMEC. Every child deserves a safe childhood. On the evening of July 6, 2001, a 911 call came in to the Chicago police. The caller was a woman, and she was calling to report that her two young daughters were missing. Chicago PD Cedric Bailey, Special Victims Unit Detective, was working the night shift. Cedric caught the call and was sent to the mother's apartment. Bailey headed out to the 3500 block of South Cottage Grove on the south side of Chicago. Once there, he met with the female caller. The apartment was located in the Lake Grove Village Complex. The mother of the two girls, Tracy Bradley, said that her daughters, ages 10 and 3, were missing for several hours. The last time she had seen them, according to her statement, the two were at home, safe in the apartment. When Tracy returned, she found the apartment empty. No girls, just a note. And this ignited one of the largest missing child cases in the Windy City's history. Two beautiful little girls, two loving sisters, Tianda and Diamond Bradley, are still missing. And this is True Crime Garage. This is from the Chicago Sun-Times article dated October 23, 2007. Cedric Bailey, Special Victims Unit Detective, got a call from downtown on the night of July 6, 2001. That's a call that he will never forget. Two little girls were missing. But that's not the only problem that Cedric had with the information that was coming to him that night. It was 9 p.m. on that Friday night. When he got the call, at minimum, the call came into Chicago PD two hours prior, maybe more depending on which report you choose to believe. Even more disturbingly, the two girls were missing for several hours before the call was even placed. For Detective Bailey, right out of the gate, there was going to be a lot of horse shit to sift through. The detective was angry at all of the time that had passed. The search for the two missing girls was going to be a battle, the uphill kind, and he was not sure who was trying to help the search 
or who was trying to hide something. The girls were missing, and there was no doubt about that. Their mother, Tracy, had been looking for them for several hours and even enlisted the help of family, friends, and neighbors. The search was officially on, according to the police. A search of the apartment and the surrounding areas proved that this was a legit call, and there was solid reason for great concern. One of the biggest problems, Tianda, age 10, and her little sister Diamond, age 3, were last seen at approximately 6 a.m. that morning. They were reportedly left alone by their mother as she went off to work. Tracy Bradley's initial call to police came in at about 6 p.m. or 7 p.m., again, depending on which report you listen to. Some of this time could be accounted for because Tracy, along with some family and friends, were looking for the girls, and for some of that time probably believed that they would find them. This in part due to a note left by the oldest girl, Tianda. The note said that the two sisters went to a nearby elementary school playground and then to a nearby store. However, no one could find them at either location. Well, the detective knows as well as we know that no matter how small you are, no matter what age you're at, you don't just disappear into thin air. Police, according to some, treated Tracy, the mother, almost like a suspect from the beginning. She was questioned four times in the first few days of this investigation for a total of 22 hours. So that night that she is there to answer the detective's questions while they are searching for the girls on that Friday night, the detectives talked to Tracy Bradley for two hours that night. The initial story that Tracy told police, well, Captain, and we don't like to hear this, it changed Several times. Well, that's fishy. Tracy does not hide from this fact. In fact, she admits this, that she changed her story, saying that she was worried that she would lose her kids if she told the truth right out the gate. And the truth was that she left them home alone while she went to work that day. Well, these investigations to me are a double-edged sword because we know statistically the younger the victim the more likelihood that somebody in the family or somebody close to them. And we have to remind ourselves when we have a young victim, we have a smaller circle. They have a smaller social circle than what me or the Colonel would have. So it's not out of line to start questioning people close to them, especially their mother, but it's the mother's job. It's the parent's job to protect their child. And so when you're being questioned by law enforcement, you want to be, honest. You want to be honest in a situation like this because it's an emergency situation. So what are some of the other stories that their mother was was telling law enforcement? Real quick, Captain, before we get into that, I should clear one thing up here. That this apartment where Tracy and her children lived together, there are supposed to be five people living in this apartment. So it's Tracy Bradley and her four daughters. She actually has two daughters that are older than Tianda and Diamond. Now, on that Thursday night, her two older daughters were staying at her mother's apartment, which is very nearby. But Tracy tells police, and this is her first story, that Tianda and Diamond, they were at her house on that Thursday night. They went to bed as usual on July 5th. 
The other two girls, again, staying at their grandma's house. She says that on that Friday, she slept until 11 a.m. And when she got up, Diamond and Tianda were gone. So she looked for them and then called the police. Again, part of the problem with that story is she's saying that she got up at 11 a.m. This phone call is made at 6 p.m. or 7 p.m., according to different reports. So that's a lot of time to go by if she wakes up and they are gone. Yeah, if I woke up in the morning and my children are not there, especially young children, you're calling police right away. Her revised story, Tracy admitted that she got up and left for work at 6 a.m. and Diamond and Tiana were asleep at this time. Tiana was enrolled in a summer school program at a nearby elementary school. But she was not going to be going to that program that day because she had to stay home to watch her little sister, the three-year-old Diamond. Tracy says that she got home sometime between 11 and 11.30 a.m. And when she came home, the girls were gone. That leads us to story number three. In her third story, she said essentially the following. And this is taken from an actual media interview. Quote, I was at home during the time when they... and this, I'm going to struggle with this because these are her words. Quote, I was at home during the time when they was there. I had to be at work at 6.30 or a quarter to 7. So I left the house about 6.30 to make it to work to a quarter to 7 to meet the troop that I have to put, that I have to put out for to feed the kids at the program that I work at. So my work schedule is from 7 a.m. to noon. So I get off at 12 o'clock, and I'd say I made it home about 12 o'clock, 12.30, something like in between that time. So when I got in, come in from work, I put my key in the door, and I unlocked my door, and I called for Tianda and Diamond. So I didn't get no response. So that was the story. That's story number three that she said to the media. To clear some things up here, Captain, Tracy Bradley works nearby in fact she works at the large apartment complex where her mother lives and they run like a summer program because remember it's summertime the kids are home from school they run a summer program where they have workers come in that oversee some of these kids it's kind of like a summer camp one of her job duties is to get there a little early quarter to seven And she prepares lunches and such for the kids that attend this summer program. And she watches these children and stays till noon. So when you hear these times, right, she's saying a lot of times that are very close in proximity. You know, I I left at 630 to be there at a quarter till seven. I get off work at noon. So I got home at noon or 1230. That's because this her work is very close by. It's it's practically walking distance from where her apartment is. Yeah, but even if you take all three of her stories, don't you find it odd that it's taken her hours to contact law enforcement? Yes, I do, uh, number one. But number two... That's a poop. You also have to keep in mind, I'm sure some of those minutes were gobbled up by her and her family trying to locate her girls and probably thinking that they might even be able to. Yeah, that makes sense. In the fourth story, we get story number four. She admitted that her boyfriend, George Washington, um, and this was not the founder of our country, was there at her 
home, her apartment that morning. He came over between 3 and 4.30 a.m., according to Tracy, and drove her to work after 6 a.m. This raises all kinds of questions, right? We have a bunch of questions, and I'm sure that police have the same questions as we do. First off, why did she lie? I, in part, believe, Captain, that we have a scenario where maybe she thought, my kids are missing, it's legit, I've not done anything wrong. It doesn't necessarily matter exactly to the story of how they went missing, where they may be, as to what I was up to prior to calling the police. It doesn't look favorable to her that she's telling different stories, but we're going to get into that here in just a second. But for law enforcement to do a proper investigation, they need to know the truth because if she is going to work multiple times with leaving her children at home, that is a a schedule or that's a routine that other individuals would know in the family. So, or people that were close to them. So those individuals that know that schedule, know that pattern, become people of interest that law enforcement would want to talk to. Exactly. And we have all, all kinds of questions here, Captain. One, why do we have two daughters staying at grandma's and not the other two? The one girl, the oldest one, Tianda, 10 years old, is supposed to be going to a summer program or to a summer school class that day. So... In that equation, you really only need a sitter for one child, the three-year-old. But it sounds like she made a decision to have the 10-year-old watch the three-year-old, leave them both home alone. My head, if, if, if she's working this summer program at a nearby apartment complex that her grandmother lives at, my head goes to, why not just bring the two kids with you? Or let Tiana go to her class or her summer school program that day and take the little three-year-old with you. I'm sure it wouldn't be the first time that a mother or a father got stuck with a tiny little kid and had to bring them with them to work on a, on a single day. Let's introduce Sheila Bradley. Here's Sheila Bradley. She's our champion here, Captain. She's the missing girl's great aunt, and she has been extremely vocal and a wonderful advocate for both of these girls since day one. Sheila went on Nancy Grace's TV show. While there, Nancy Grace asked Sheila, why would Tracy lie to the police? Why did she lie to the police? And Sheila's answer, quote, well, first of all, Tracy was told by another family member who had some previous run-ins with DCFS. That's the Illinois Department of Child and Family Services. This family member tells Tracy that you should just look for the girls. Because if you call the police, the Department of Child and Family Services, they are going to probably put you in jail and or take your kids totally. So that's the explanation that Sheila says that she got from her relative Tracy as to why she changed her stories. But not only had Tracy lied, but as the captain points out, and as we've already said, she waited more than five hours to call police about her missing daughters, possibly more than six hours if the reports that she called 911 are closer to 7 p.m., if those reports are true. Right. 
So Tracy was considered suspicious right from Jump Street. The police stated publicly that she was initially cooperative, but then had stopped being cooperative with their investigation. However, multiple reliable sources have reported that regardless of her inconsistent statements, that Tracy Bradley passed a polygraph exam. Well, every time a polygraph test gets brought up, I feel like we're a broken record. Can't use them in court, but I I do feel like it's a nice barometer for law enforcement. Well, especially in this case where you're going, she's told us multiple stories. We have to figure out some way of can we believe this woman or not? So let's bring in a air quotes expert to help us make an educated decision on that aspect of our investigation. Now, proof of her passing the polygraph comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. This is a July 12, 2001 article that says, quote, the mother, Tracy Bradley, has been interviewed at least four times and submitted to a polygraph test, which she passed, according to a police source. After that, Tracy obtained an attorney and police contact with her was required to go through that attorney. So let's talk about that for a second here, Captain. What we have here is exactly what you said earlier. It's a double-edged sword for law enforcement. Yep, I'm right again. They need to know all of the details. They need to know who is responsible for the girls having gone missing, and you very quickly learn after talking to the mother that she's telling you multiple stories. So what is she hiding? Then on... Then let's take a look at across the table from that detective. Across the table, we have a mother who, if she is innocent, if she has no knowledge as to where her children are or where they've gone or who has taken them or why they are missing, then we have across the table from us a victim who is sitting there going, why are you spending so much time on me? You should be out looking for my kids. She was questioned for 22 hours total over the course of of the first four days of this investigation, two hours that Friday night. And then on one occasion on uh, the following day, six hours, then eight hours on Sunday, and then another six hours on Monday. So 22 hours that the detective talked to her. Now keep in mind, they are out actively looking for these girls on the streets, in the parks, and everywhere they can think of while they are talking to the mother. Now, we should also point out too, Captain, that not only did Tracy pass the polygraph, but what about an alibi? Tracy was, underline that word, was verified to be at work on the morning in question. But let's keep in mind that that alibi only covers Tracy for that morning when she is working from a quarter to seven till noon. Her own words. Yeah, because it's possible that the girls were still at home and she comes home and an accident happens or she does something to the girls. And during that noon to 6 p.m. window, she's responsible for them going missing. Not just that. I think the problem that we need to truly be looking at, as well as the problem you just pointed out, let's let's open up the window a little bit here, Captain, because the way I see it, No one but Tracy and her so-called boyfriend, George, had seen the girls since 10 p.m. the night before on Thursday. Tracy has consistently maintained that she had nothing to do with her girls' disappearance. 
But her shifting stories and some other interesting behaviors gave her a reputation as a non-cooperative parent. And people in the neighborhood who initially rallied around her started to turn the other way. Do we have roughly a timeline of the night before that they went missing? Like you said, the mother and the the boyfriend of the mother didn't see the children after 10 p.m.? Yes. So police learned that friends of Tracy's had come over to watch the Cubs game on Thursday night. So this is very interesting to our investigation. Now we have other people with not really a dog in the fight other other than to find the little girls and to hope that the little girls are found safe and sound who are confirming to police and telling police the following. We went over to Tracy's home. We watched the Cubs game that Thursday night. And most of them are saying, we, you know, we left around 10 p.m. So that gives us that solid time of the girls are alive and well and everything's fine at 10 p.m. Thursday night. The friends were questioned and reported that they saw both Diamond and Tianda there at the apartment and reporting that both were fine and acting normal at that time. Now, to further back that up, the Cubs finished the 2001 season 88-74. and Not terrible. And on that Thursday night, they beat the Mets 13-4. to This according to backtobaseball.com, which is an amazing website, by the way. The game lasted three hours and ten minutes. The game was played at Shea Stadium in New York City, so keep in mind the time change from New York to Chicago. That night, it was a 7-10 pitch New York time. So the game was over at 9.20 Chicago time, which makes perfect sense that the friends would be ushering out of Tracy's apartment around the 10 o'clock hour. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. 
One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates, to the windows, to the walls, to the people in the front, and to the people in the back. Cheers, Colonel. Cheers to you, Captain. Cheers to all of our wonderful listeners out there. Cheers to the people that have contributed to the beer fund over the past couple of months and past couple of weeks. I do want to send a request to all of you wonderful beer fund donators. Please check your spam box. Nobody puts True Crime Garage in their spam box, but I think that's where we are ending up, Captain, because when you donate to the beer fund, you get a nice little email from the captain and the colonel requesting your name and city. And check that spam box. Let us know where you are so we can shout you out on a future show. Now, we're going to give a shout out in a minute to one of the captain's favorite people, uh, a one Miss Oprah Winfrey. 
but before we get oh, into we that. we dated a little bit in high school. Well, you should have locked that up because I think that she's worth quite a good deal of coin, my friend. My grandma used to say you could love a rich one as much as you can a poor one. This next part, Captain, let's call it phone records, but put a nice bold question mark after the word records, right? Tracy told investigators that while she was at work on that Friday, the the morning in question, that she called her own apartment three times in the early morning hours, but never got an answer. So she's calling home. She knows she left her girls alone at home. Nobody's picking up the phone. It's unknown whether police verified that these calls actually happened. But if they did verify that these calls happened, it makes it even all the more alarming that Tracy didn't go home to see what was going on or what was wrong with her girls, that they're not answering the phone. Now, according to a 2021 article in Oprah Daily, police pulled the phone records at Tracy's apartment. And they indicated, quote, that several calls from other numbers to Tracy's apartment went unanswered over the course of the morning, and there were two hangups, end quote. So Tracy Bradley has a cell phone. We know that they pulled the records based off of this Oprah Daily article. Nowhere does it state 100% that they verified the three calls coming from Tracy's cell phone to her own apartment. But we know they were looking into the phone calls. There was an incredibly huge and extensive search. A huge search effort for these two little girls was underway during the whole course of the early parts of this investigation. And in fact, at first, at the very first, the Bradley girls were considered, quote, missing by the police. The police who felt with some evidence that they had walked off, that the girls had walked off and perhaps just gotten lost or distracted. This again from Oprah Daly, which of course is not usually one of our go-to sources, but reporter Lee Kunkel did a very informative and lengthy article in 2021, gangbusters work, as we say here in the garage. So we relied on that article quite a bit. Well, this was a huge story out of Chicago. And where is my ex-girlfriend from? Chicago. And look, I tried to lock it down, but the problem was we were we were so uh there was too much passion that we that we had to separate it so uh we had to separate so Oprah could go on to have a good career. According to Lee's article, the Chicago police responded immediately. And again, according to Lee's article, he says this statistically is unusual for a case involving missing black children. The initial search for the girls involved three police cars, two supervisors, and two canine units, which combed the neighborhood, which included dumpsters, yards, vacant lots, businesses, and the lakefront that is there. On July 10th, this is with the girls now missing for four days, an FBI spokesman, this is Ross Rice, told the Chicago Tribune, quote, we're still trying to find out what happened, and we don't know. The family pushed back, arguing that the girls had been abducted. The FBI agent goes on to say, I didn't want the community to overlook it like, oh, it's two kids who ran away. Sheila, the aunt, the great aunt, told USA Today, no, these kids were taken. Sheila has become, she went on to become 
the most present and vocal advocate for the two girls, keeping their case in the spotlight and successfully getting the Chicago PD and the FBI to reclassify the investigation just after a few days as missing slash endangered. And unfortunately, that is the status, still the status of this case to this day. By July 12th, it was officially termed a criminal missing persons investigation. Detective Ed Carroll, who worked the case for several years, said to the Chicago Tribune, State Police, FBI, Chicago, they threw everything they had at it. They set up a hotline. They set up a command post. As far as I know, there were entire tactical teams and detectives detailed to this investigation at least for the first month, if not longer. But one of the things that we like to do, and one of the things I've learned from your expertise throughout these last seven years, is trying to break down the timeline and make it shorter, make our window shorter. And so, but there's no signs of forced entry. There's no signs of breaking in. Right. Are we to assume that when the the mother and the boyfriend wake up, that they just didn't check on the daughters, or that, do they just not remember checking on them? No, according to the mom, she spoke with both of the girls, especially the 10-year-old, before leaving for work that day. So then that would put our window at about 6.30 a.m. Correct. If Again, though, we're sitting here, yes, she passed the polygraph, but... It, it still remains difficult to believe her every word. Or any word. Right. And so all we have is the window remains wide open and in a big window at this point because truly the last confirmed sighting by somebody other than George or other than their mother is roughly 10 p.m. the night before. And there's no 100% confirmed sightings other than George and Tracy after that 10 p.m. time, after the Cubs game that night. And here's, look, here's another thing that always aggravates us, right? Surveillance cameras at the apartment complex, they're not working. They're not working. Again, it's the, it's the false sense of security that you give to your residents. You have security cameras. You just choose to not use them. But this is another reason why you might want to look into the parents because they would have known that the cameras of the apartment complex or possibly would have known that the cameras at the apartment complex didn't work. It's it's aggravating as hell. There's a chance that we could have saved two little girls' lives or at least know where they are, bring them home, had you just bothered to make sure that your security cameras, your surveillance cameras at your apartment complex were working. And guess what they don't do? at the apartment complex, Captain. They don't do it anywhere. When the cameras stop working, they leave them up. False sense of security. They don't go around to every resident and say, oh, by the way, those cameras stop working. Or we ain't changing the tapes no more. We ain't paying for digital recording no more. They don't tell anybody that. They leave you with feeling a false sense of security. Investigators canvassed the playground. So we mentioned this in at the top of the show. There was a note that was left when Tracy Bradley comes home and does not find her girls. She finds a note and this note is saying that the notes written from Tiana 
saying, me and Diamond, we are going to a playground, and then we're going to go to the store. And they never come home. They never return. And of course, Tracy and her family and friends checked the playground, the nearest playground, or, or the playground they believed that Tiana was talking about, and the store that they believed that she was talking about. We get some conflicting reports when police start going around and canvassing the neighborhood and talking to people. They couldn't, from my understanding, find anybody at the store that had ever said that they had seen the girls. They did find one or two people, most of them children, that said that they saw the kids, saw the girls at the playground. But as we all know, kids can be easily confused, especially when you start asking about dates and about times. I can't say, I can't sit here and say, Captain, that the kids that were interviewed were interviewed at 9 p.m., 10 p.m., 11 p.m. that Friday night. They likely couldn't track down these kids who were at this playground, this local playground that is shared by everybody in the community. They wouldn't know who to ask that night. So these children that are saying, yeah, we saw the girls at the playground, this could be the following day, two days later, three or four days later. I'm sure they saw the girls at a playground at the playground at one time. I just can't say that they were actually seen on the day in question. And we know that adults can confuse dates and times as well. In fact, the neighbor of the Bradleys, this is Fred Ramsey, told the press that Tiana knocked on his door around 10 a.m. asking if his daughter could come out and play. And he told her it was too early. Another neighbor, Sheila Adams, no relation, different Sheila, said that she saw both girls playing with other children in the in the complex between 2.30 and 3 o'clock on that Friday. The girls had asked her if, if she had any candy or juice. Again, none of these sightings, including the two neighbors that we just discussed, have ever been confirmed. So there is and there is not 100% verified sightings of the girls since 10 p.m. on Thursday night. It was if they had completely evaporated. One, if we buy what the mother is telling us, that she saw her daughter, she left for work. If we buy maybe even the neighbor, hey, one of the girls came by to see if my daughter could play. Now they're out into the world at this complex. Would How many people are connected to this apartment complex? It's a big apartment complex, and more importantly, the apartment complex where Tracy's mother the girl's grandmother lives at is, I believe it's said to be one of the largest, if not the largest complex in the United States. So yeah, then we get it. Like you said, Chicago is not a small city, my friend. It's a heavily populated area and this is the South side of Chicago. So yeah, we have now one large apartment unit, the space between that unit and the next unit. And then maybe the, one of the largest apartment complexes in the world in the united states yeah, and and now you have to deal with all those people because of the proximity become people of interest well and what we do know captain is that according to reports over 500 officers searched a massive area and interviewed more than 1,000 people this including 30 relatives of the two girls 100 detectives worked the case around the clock 20 agents from the FBI's Violent Crimes Task Force joined in the investigation, and the FBI handled all of the evidence. So FBI 
is in charge of all the physical evidence. But one thing that's missing from these reports, speaking of evidence, one thing that I have not seen, not heard anything about is whether Tracy's apartment was searched for any signs of blood or whether anything other than the little girls were missing from the apartment. Well, like I was saying before, if she came home and there was some kind of accident that maybe she's responsible for or the younger girls responsible for or the boyfriend is responsible for, does it become a cover-up situation? They could have detected that if they had searched the apartment from top to bottom. 824 tips, Captain, came in the first week, in the first few weeks of this investigation. And according to reports, every one of those 824 tips were followed up on. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children published and circulated flyers for each of the girls. The girls were featured on America's Most Wanted on Saturday, July 14th, 2001. So they go missing on the 6th. Their story, their images, their faces are on America's Most Wanted on July 14th. Eight days later. And what we learn is fewer than one dozen tips actually come in after the airing of that episode. So where they were hoping for this to lead to something good in the investigation, it didn't pan out. Well, it's so frustrating, too, because you can see where the lies to law enforcement from the mother initially make the case way more complex because like you said, if you can believe what the mother says, then you're shortening that time period and you're shortening your suspects and and where to look. Mm -hmm. There is a reward that's still available in this case. Yeah. Very quickly, captain, we have $17,500 that was put up as reward money for information in the case. And that money came from $10,000 from the FBI, $5,000 from the Chicago public school system, and $2,500 from the apartment building management company itself. Now we have the FBI very quickly in this investigation going on record. This is late July saying our speculation is that someone out there knows something but perhaps they have not come forward because they're afraid that their information will not be confidential. What we're saying is the information will be confidential. We will offer money for it. Two little girls who have gone missing in this way didn't just walk down the street and disappear. Someone saw something and the FBI believes that someone will know where they are located. This is, statement could not be more truthful, could not be more honest, because the way I see it, if in fact, if the girls were left alone that day while Tracy Bradley went off to work, then very likely what we had happened, if the girls left the apartment on their own, somebody should have seen them. If they left with an abductor or were carried out of the apartment with an abductor or abductors, somebody should have seen them. Hell, if you would have had surveillance cameras, well, oh, wait, you did, but they weren't working. You would have had some footage of what actually happened that day. So initially, law enforcement is thinking, these girls 
ran away or they went outside to play. But we're probably going to find them. Mm-hmm. But when you start talking and you start asking questions to the mother and she's being untruthful. This, I mean, this just starts sparking red flags all over the place. There's a lot of red flags here. Interesting, though, that the Chicago police, 20 days after the girls go missing, they labeled the case a kidnapping. They do say publicly that they found nothing specifically pointing to foul play. But as far as their investigation went, and along with the search and the searches for the girls turning up nothing, it's looking more and more to detectives and investigators like the girls were taken away by someone possibly that they trusted, that the two girls trusted. And so at this point in your investigation, if you are labeling it a kidnapping, you are hoping that the two are alive somewhere and in the care of someone who took them. Again, someone that they knew. And if I'm law enforcement, I am harping on the idea of was this a normal action? Was this a normal part of your routine? Did you leave your daughter's home alone before? Did Was there a schedule where you left them home? And if so, who knew about this? Because there's no sign of breaking and entering. Mm-hmm. But if you know the girls mm-hmm. and you know this schedule and you know that they're going to be alone and you're a horrible pile of shit, you might use this as an opportunity to do something horrible. Well, think about the phone records that we discussed, Captain. According to police, what they're saying about the phone records was that there were several hang-up calls that were reported uh, on that record. And think about that for a minute. If you see, if you live in the apartment complex and you see mom going off to work, well, then you go, all right, well, there, there could be four girls in that apartment. There could be three. There could be two. There could be one or zero. Um, how about I call that number? I know them. Let's see if somebody picks up. And if they do, who picks up the phone? And if it ain't mom or a an adult, I'm going to make my move because here's my window of opportunity. You're exactly right. If somebody was watching them, when we say somebody that they trusted, it doesn't have to be a family member. It doesn't have to be a family friend. It could be a neighbor or somebody that lives there that they know that they've talked to before. Yeah, or somebody that they might know posing as somebody that they would be comfortable opening up the door for. Before we continue to flesh out this timeline a little bit more, we should make clear that the Department of Child and Family Services had never been called to Tracy's apartment before. That doesn't, we don't know what was going on inside of that apartment. We don't know the relationship or how the girls were treated. All we know at this point is they were missing and there's not been any speculation of any kind of abuse leading up to this point. There's been no zero, zero reports of that leading up to the girls going missing. Now we do know that Tracy said that her air quotes boyfriend, George picked her up from work on Friday and took her to get a cake, this at a Jewel Osco store. Uh Uh-huh. And 
Investigators located a receipt from the store, which was stamped, time-stamped, 12.21 p.m. Tracy had said earlier that she tried to call Tianda at the apartment several times and got no answer. So it does seem a little weird to call home after leaving your girls home alone, getting no answer, and then deciding that, you know what, rather than going directly home, rather than leaving work and going home sometime during my work day, let's stop off at the pastry shop real quick at the uh, Jewel Osco and go pastry shopping before coming home to find the apartment empty. And she does say that when she arrived at the apartment, George was with her. So George goes into the apartment with her. She says that immediately she started searching for the girls. When asked why she didn't call police immediately, she said that she assumed that they were playing somewhere in the complex. Remember, we do have that note saying that they might be playing somewhere in the complex. She and her sisters, Tracy and her sisters and other family members searched all over. This including the Ida B. Wells complex where the girls had friends. This is a nearby complex. They also searched the shores of Lake Michigan, which was just blocks away. They searched there because the girls like to go there and play, sometimes in the water. Police found footage of a pair of girls who actually looked like Tracy's daughters at the Jewel Osco store located at 35th and King Drive. The police said there's a resemblance. It's close enough to peak the interest of investigators. Again, though, we don't have anybody saying that they saw the actual girls there at that store that day. Well, like you said, this this case is getting attention. And when you're getting attention, but there's not much information coming back to you, there has to be a level of frustration that's rising for law enforcement. And it, if and if I was a detective in this case, now I'm not so worried about looking outward. I'm looking at at looking inward at family and friends that are connected to these two victims. Well, and it's been said that the investigation was complicated by the fact that each of Tracy's four daughters have different fathers. It's believed that Tracy at the time may have had multiple boyfriends herself. We know of George Washington, who is referred to as her boyfriend per Tracy's words. There is a man named Daniel Torres who is a security guard or was a security guard at the time that the girls went missing. He professed to be Tianda's real father, this in an interview, but also said that he and Tracy had not been in contact and he had not seen Tianda for seven years leading up to the girl's disappearance. She's 10 at the time that she goes missing. He told the Tribune, he was, I mean, he's being honest. He says, quote, I ain't been around. People look at me as a lowlife, but I love my daughter. He goes on to say, her name is tattooed on my right arm. Congratulations, sir. You got a tattoo of your daughter's name instead of spending time with her or supporting her. Yeah, or maybe take that money that you're going to spend on the tattoo and uh, support your daughter. Yeah, put it in an envelope, drop it off at mom's house. That would be a step in the right direction. According to the Tribune, Tracy Bradley had filed two paternity suits against two different men trying to establish who the father of Diamond was, the youngest girl, 
This is according to court records. The first lawsuit was dismissed after DNA testing ruled one of the men out. The second lawsuit was filed in June against the man whose home was searched on. The second lawsuit was filed in June. So the month or weeks or days before the girls go missing and was filed against a man who you've heard his name before, Captain George Washington. His job at the time, he's listed as a welder. He's the man, the boyfriend, if you want to call him that, who drove Tracy to work that morning and picked her up this on the day that the girls vanished. But one thing I've learned about you, my friend, is any case that involves a note, your ears perk up. That's exactly right. And that's one thing that we've not really dissected yet. It's the note. Because remember that mom... Tracy Bradley says that when she came home from work that day, that she found a note that was to her from her girls explaining why they were not in the apartment and where they would be. And here's the deal, captain. If this note is legit, then that proves that could be proof that when Tracy Bradley left that morning for work, that her girls were in fact alive and well after she left the apartment that day. And we know that Tracy Bradley was at work that day. That was verified by law enforcement with multiple other people and sources. Tracy Bradley comes home. She doesn't find her girls. She simply finds a note that says that Tianda and Diamond were leaving the apartment to go to a nearby school playground and to go to the Jewel Osco store. But does the note actually exist? And if so, who actually wrote that note? I want to thank everybody for joining us here in the garage. So much more to get to join us. Same bat time, same bat channel. And until tomorrow. Is it really the same bat time? Be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.